Alrighty, and now the microphones are on and it looks like we're all online. So hello out there, Internet. It's another Tuesday night. Scuba and Arai. Scuba here. And of course, Rai is over there. How's, over it, how's it going tonight? Set sail in five foot, three feet, inch water-ish somewhere. <laughs> At least I'm not drowning, so that's a good thing. Yes, yes. A couple of quick housekeeping things right off the bat. That is, we're going to pay some... Uh, some tribute and some thanks to recent followers of the cha of the channel, which gotta say thank you and appreciate that. So, thank you. Uh, Deacon Blues Hamilton, thank you for following. Gary Diamonds, thank you, sir. And Texas or T Zex. Also uh, followed us over the uh, last couple of days. Uh, these are all guys I had done a one shot with on Sunday night that we did not finish and we will continue again <laughs> next week, uh, this Sunday, uh, which I'll go into that more when we get into state of game. Got some more sample merch in, uh, the t-shirts for uh, Skittles and Top Shelf, or Top Shelf got a sweatshirt, Skittles got a t-shirt. And they both look good. Uh, got photos posted up on the uh, studio Instagram and the studio Twitter. That's what I got so far for quick announcements just to get out the gate. Driving away. You got anything, Roy? Uh, no announcements other than, you know, uh, happy belated Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Go ahead and get into our What's Happening, the uh, segment where we talk about what we've been up to for the last week. Soon to be post-lockdown or ease or parole. I mean, what do you want to call it? Um... A, a stepping back toward the light, I would oh. put it. Going outside for the first time in two months kind of deal, right? Yes. It's like <laughs> the sun still exists. There is light. <laughs> there is grass. There is air. There's something. That's for bloody sure. All righty. Well, right. Take, lead us off, man. What you been up All to? Right. You seem to yeah. have been pretty busy. Oh, yeah. It's actually, even whenever, this is always the case, even when I take a few days off or I feel like I can relax, I still relax, but I still am busy with a lot of things. Okay. So Friday, caught up on the movie we'll talk about today. Uh, Saturday was my uh, cousin's, uh, my cousin Amanda's uh, graduation. She graduated from Regent with her law degree. So congratulations to her. Awesome. But I also, part of that was I did a photo shoot for her. Uh, so we took uh, took photos and I just finished and posted uh, posted some of them on my Flickr page today. Yeah, so, I saw the, saw the Facebook post. They look pretty cool. Oh yeah, so definitely uh, want to check out. I do do photography on the side. If you ever want to reach out to me, I have a actually, I can pull it up. Oh, you can. Oh yeah, right here. Uh, right here is my trusty photography camera, my Nikon D3200. Awesome. Okay. So this is what I use. It has a inter interchangeable lens. I have another lens that goes with it, but. You know, hopefully one day I'll get some more lenses, but you know, it's a hobby. Yeah, cameras do cost a lot. Lens costs a lot more. So, but the thing is, I've, you know, doing photography for a while, both uh, did it, you know, side job for a little bit, and now it's just a back to a hobby. It's just, uh, I've learned how to use lighting, how to use environment, how to use everything, you know, everything at my disposal, because I like taking photos in nature. I like taking candid shots. I don't have a studio, but I can make anything work. But... Outside of that, that uh, Sunday went in back to the first landing with the uh, with my friend Asia. We are uh, prepping for a 5K later on this month. 
Nice, so, nice. Uh, my legs are tired. <laughs> and plus working out today, my legs are tired, stiff, and ready for Epsom salt. Anything else for your what you've been up to? Um, other than those things, nope. Just uh, relaxing, hoping for the warm weather to kick in, and then as things slowly open up, you know, uh, still got to be precautious out there, regardless of what what opens up or not. You know, uh, follow the rules, people. As long as you, you know, stay sanitized and keep your distance, I think we'll be fine. That's the one thing I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, is being able to travel. So, well, traveling would be nice. That's for sure. Um, let's see, uh, what I've been up to is uh, last week built brand new computer setup, uh, monitor setup, and then also set up lighting and all these things. I saw a couple of cool uh, suggestions. Uh, my favorite one being taking. Uh, monitor arms i could use it to mount cameras lights and the microphone so aside from the camera that's what i did i i got two voltec led lights uh got a couple of uh extensions for tripod uh mounts i used i got a, a kit of uh tripod bolts and was able to mount the two lights to the arms i took a link out of one arm so one's short one's longer than the other and then mm -hmm. there are a couple of different heights to try and give me a little bit better lighting balance uh, I got a new arm for my snowball microphone that puts it it's a little bit it's about three inches longer than the last one uh, overall but allows me to get it up and get it kind of out of the way where it doesn't look like it's in my face as I'm talking I have a sit stand desk from Flexspot. I bought the frame and then made the top out of an old door that I had uh, in the shop for a project just like this. Also made a new crafting table that I'll be using to start getting into miniature and tabletop crafting work on again. Working out some new camera angles and whatnot use it for my phone to use as a uh, recording because a GoPro is nice but a GoPro is fixed at like that wide angle shot so I really can't use it for close-up work. I realized that at the beginning of the year when I did a test building a miniature. The footage looks fine, it's just it's you really can't see a lot of fine detail because the camera just does not zoom that close. So I figured I'd use my phone to try and get some better shots as I work through some other things. Uh, this week we got a couple of things we're going to talk about. Oh yes, uh, a movie and a TV series. No, you know, I finished up another series on Netflix. All right. Well, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, go to rye reviews all one word dot com and check it out. The latest review is the Lighthouse. William Defoe. For some reason, his name's escaping me right now. How can I do that? Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Edward from the Twilight. Twilight franchise. Yes. Yes. But, you know, this is the kind of movie that he is trying to do, you know, try to get the owl into more acting, try to get away from that that twilight stigma, as you would like to say. And he, he's been doing a lot of things. So this one is, uh, this this one's kind of wild. I did actually watch a good chunk of it while we were building the computer and co-streaming that. Um, granted, I watched it with subtitles, so I'm going to be up front on that. I didn't, I haven't heard the dialogue, but I've heard, I've heard William Dafoe in so many different movies. You kind of have his voice stuck in my head anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, take it away. Tell us about uh, The Lighthouse. All right. So The Lighthouse is uh, is an indie, indie uh, 
basically what you would call an indie slash art house film. This is the kind of film that that really uh, true, uh, you know, true fans of the arts of what film is and what, you know, generally visual storytelling is with films that you see on like the big, uh, big uh, film festival circuits, Sundance, Cannes, Toronto Film Festival. These are the ones that get a lot of the buzz because of one or two things, the visual brevity of the film and also the 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 acting that is that is prime and pristine in these films. So at center stage of the lighthouse, you have Willem Dafoe and um, Robert Pattinson both play two uh, lighthouse keepers that uh, have to work together on this remote island lighthouse in New England. And while working alone, they also have to battle not only the elements, their daily tasks, but also try to fight off uh, falling into insanity. So there's a lot of mixtures of uh, mundane tasks going on, but also a lot of underlying surface with the visual imagery, uh, certain mythos being uh, predicated from uh, certain scenes and scenarios, and just watching as they battle um, uh, the the wits of what is re what's reality and what is um what is fictional to what they see going on on this island. So what this film boils down to is basically the two characters and for all of the the the, the mundane tasks they do, what makes this film such a treat to watch is their personalities class that clash with each other because you have this uh, veteran of the island, the Willem Dafoe character, uh, Thomas Wake who's been doing this for a long, long time. So he has all these stories and these sayings and all these things he makes um, Robert Patton's character, Thomas Howard, uh, do. So it's basically like uh, father-son, master-slave, uh, um, manager-employee uh, kind of dynamic. So you see all of those play together that create this conflict, but it also drives them... Um, apart because of things that uh, Rotten Pattinson's character sees. He starts noticing things. Um, uh, Thomas Wake, Willem Dafoe's character, kind of disappear at the top of the lighthouse always. He has it locked up. He says certain things with like very uh, ominous views, but never clearly explains anything. He goes on tangents that don't make any sense, but eventually starts to make sense because of um, Robert Pattinson's character, Thomas Howard, because he starts seeing things and it starts with a seagull. And then from the seagull, he starts seeing mermaids and sea creatures and things that just seem out of norm. But it also starts to break down his psyche as, as it con continues on. So as the mystery of the lighthouse starts to slowly reveal itself, you watch these characters start to fall uh, start the battle against isolation, angst, sexual indulgence, and other fragile human behavior that happens when you're just left alone for four to six months with nothing else to do but just, you know, make sure this lighthouse doesn't fall apart. So, and that's where you'll hit the crossroads of this film. It's either you're going to be able to understand what the mythos of all the imagery is, or you're just going to literally hate what you're seeing because nothing is explained. Nothing is ever explained in this movie. Not in the traditional all, sense. No. Not in the traditional sense. It's all imagery. It's all vision. It's all characterization of the human psyche falling into a deluge of madness, pretty much. And if you've ever seen the director's original work, his first film, The Witch, which you, me, and another friend saw, 
you can understand his um, his directing mentality in this film. That's probably why I felt kind of familiar. Yeah. So, did you want to add anything to anything to? Yeah. Um. The vision. The 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 whole the slow and steady descent into madness. Yeah. Uh. For Thomas was uh, interesting because it was you could tell at the outset it was like okay he's the new guy and yeah. typically the new guy is made to do everything. Oh yeah, and, and he is made to do everything on this on this. And movie. it's like he ha- he ha- and he starts to just shatter, and then it's like. That it it felt very reminiscent of some other thing of some other films, not just Witch, but yeah. some other things where it really kind of delves into that psyche and how your psyche, um, through certain scenario situations, starts to fall apart. And watching him descend into madness, watching the whole some of the scenes are just like. He, he's lost it and you, you almost for me there was times I saw a couple of things after he had lo- totally lost it he just kind of had to laugh because he, he's so far gone is it after the seagull incident there's the seagull in the beginning where he just kind of looks at then all of a sudden he kill and then he just starts lobbing it around like a sack of potatoes but I'm thinking more toward the more toward the latter part. Where it's like he, he, he picks up the the thing of gasoline or kerosene yeah. and holds it kinda like a moonshine bottle, takes it takes a swig. Yeah. And then just carries on and he just had to be like, Okay. He he he's definitely lost his touch on reality. Yeah. And Yeah. When, I, at that point, yeah. It's 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 a crossroads because that's where the film dives into what a lot of people that love art house films will enjoy because it's it's not literal the ending the the second half is not literally explained but there are consequences to to the choices that he is making oh yeah and it's done through visual storytelling that is that is left up with an ambiguous open interpretation so it's either going that's going to either make or break how you enjoy this journey but the one thing that I appreciate about this film is that as much as the craziness starts to happen, the allure of what and why keeps you keeps you watching. Because you just kind of want to know what is it he's going to find out at the top of this lighthouse. Yes. So And then, he, and then, it, then you see it, and then it cuts away, and you see the last scene, which we're not going to spoil. Go check it out. This is on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know what? We may do Amazon... Uh, the uh, watch parties are now available on Twitch. Maybe we could do a watch party for this and just kind of roll through it. Do a again. commentary. Yeah. And just kind of, yeah, that, I mean, that could be something we can do. But the it, I thought even watching it in with subtitles and given the fact that the f- whole film is shot in black and white... Yeah, it doesn't have the modern color palette. It doesn't have the modern special effects. It's very noir. It's very much you have. If you're not paying attention, you're gonna miss things. And it's like, I think it's a credit to the cast on having to go through this without having the training wheels of explaining every little detail. 
and that's one thing I did appreciate about this film is the is the the strength of the the acting and the strength of that uh, camaraderie between um, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe because it's a it's a fragile, fragmented kind of relationship because at times they feel like they're they they love each other and then there's other times where they literally want to beat each other senseless and it's 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 a, it's a testament to to the acting especially um, Willem Dafoe got a lot of praise and a lot of you know award buzz for his role but I think the the standout is Rob Pattinson because if you watch this film only seeing the Twilight films you will be completely in awe of his just ability to get lost in the role like oh, if yeah. you do not realize it's Robert Pattinson until you look at the credits and be like wait that's twilight boy oh even so <laughs> yeah. even i mean even look look here we have a picture of the uh we have the picture that you have up for your review yeah. and i mean he's very grungy he's very yeah. much not the sparkling thing that has earned him so much uh ridicule yeah for doing the, that role yeah, and it's like yeah, and this is the kind of role that you realize, and plus another film that he did, Good Times, which I'll probably watch and review at some point, um, why he probably got the role for the Batman. Oh, yeah. When you, when you see this film, no matter if you like, love, or hate it at the end, you see why he got that role. You see the, his acting ability. And another appreciation, like you said, the black and white, what I appreciate, the, the film's aesthetic didn't overshadow what was happening in the film. It was a part of the film. And if they used colors, it might have detracted from it. And it's just a testament to the director because he knows how to use themes, atmosphere, and detail of um, imagery from the witch to here. You know that he, he's really good at using that kind of story. Yes. What are we going to call this one? All right. So overall, this is this is, this is a, very, uh, a, a very visually uh, alluring film. But at the same time, it is one of those films that is is hard for me to recommend for everybody to watch because this is a true art house film. This is only going to be appreciated by people like you or me or people that, you know, can read between the lines, per se, if you want to say, you can say. Well, but, given oh, also the current thing right now with uh, isolation yeah. and, and then the fact the social distancing and the, yeah. the physical distancing, I mean... You can't get much more distant than an island out in the out in the, yeah. out in the middle of the bay. <laughs> but overall, I, I I think it's a great film, but only a great film for indie fans. So if I were to give a score three out of five, uh, theater discount, it's definitely worth seeing, but only for the that niche crowd. Okay, or if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, check it out. <laughs> Alrighty, well I can't disagree with that review. So no. we're just gonna yeah. roll on to that TV series. And that is All, right. All American. This is a show on Netflix, I believe, correct? Yes, it is a show on uh, um, um, on Netflix, but it's actually a show from the CW. Oh, so really? That, you know, got shared in a deal. But the first two seasons are up on Netflix, and what this follows is um, a high school um, a high school player by the name of Spencer James as he gets recruited to play. Uh, he, was, he grows up in South Crenshaw, you know, the southern part of L.A., you know, where the Bloods and Crips and all the gang stuff are happening, but he gets recruited to play at Beverly High, in Beverly Hills. So that is the basis of the of the overall arching um, TV series story. But uh, what this film, uh, what this show delves deeper on into, is the the clashing of um, 
uh, you know, the social indifference between Beverly Hills and South Crenshaw. Uh, there's racial disparities. There's the different, you know, the typical teenage high school dramas. But there's a lot of like um, subplots that deal with individuals just trying to face everyday life in different situations. So I would think, like I explained this to to somebody, I I said if you've ever watched the sh the show Friday Night Lights, think of that show, but uh, taking place in L.A. So what it is, it's like twenty percent football, but uh, mostly it's the the drama and the characterization of the of the livelihoods of all these characters that revolve around Spencer James, and it's actually it's a based off of true. It's, uh, based off a true story, based off an actual NFL player by the name of Spencer Hasinger, who played in the NFL for a few years. So okay. they, based, they based the storyline on his growing up in South Crenshaw, but having, you know, being able to play at Beverly High. Interesting. Yeah. So you've completed the whole series, the, all of the stuff that's up on Netflix right now? Oh, yeah. And what I can say about this is that it is a truly gripping but a uh, very emotional ride because it deals with hard issues with, um, you know, the, the social disparity between, you know, the rich and poor, um, the racial disparity and all the different situations that, you know, some people won't come across. But the way they do it is because since he is um, playing football in Beverly Hills, but he's growing up in South Crenshaw, you see that interconnecting of um, cultures from both areas so it's it's like an eye-opener for some people but at the same time there's a there's there's a, a heart heartiness to it because they don't beat you over the head with themes they just let it organically happen it organically just lives and breathes and season two actually it will beat that emotional drum and make you tear up at certain scenes because what it deals with it deals with depression um, deals with uh, suicide, deals with terminal illness, and deals with fighting back through an injury to try to get back to the top. So there's there are very hard themes, but it all surrounds this high school um, high school all star. So it's really good, and it layers between the football life and also there's the drama of growing up in all these different situations that affect people every day. All right. So what are some of the what what are some of the the high points for the storylines the high points for the storylines is that it actually allows you to allows the characters to evolve organically nothing is 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 force-fed there's no uh um there are you know your typical archetypes but it's just enough to introduce the characters but then you start to they start to reveal their backstories start to reveal their flaws as human beings because you might you have these kids that grew up in this beverly hills bubble but then what you realize is that the they, they there's a fracture within their lives and then once they start leaving that that bubble they start to realize that there are real people out there and then just having them interact with you know with other people it starts to devolve their character from that perfect persona into actually having to face facts of their own flaws so Every okay, so, the trueness, the, the highlight is the the characterization of every character. Every character has a point. Every okay. character has a point, and that's the one thing that is fails in a lot of TV uh, primetime TV sitcoms is that they just rely on that melodrama trope to pull you in, but don't allow the characters to breathe that drama. Well, at least the modern sitcoms. 
So watching this, and this is a modern, this is a modern primetime drama, and I was surprised at how uh, head-on they go with tackling certain issues. Yeah. Well, it's the CW. They have a they they have a pungent for really kind of going out there with their storylines. Oh yeah. So it is on CW, like you said. Um, it it, it hasn't finished the series, but the first two seasons are on Netflix. But overall, it is probably one of the one of the um, one of the dark horses that I came across on Netflix that, that I've seen in the last few weeks. Like right. I was surprised on how great the show is. So thumbs up, thumbs down. How many stars? Uh, I would give it if I would do it on the Rive review scale. Of uh, 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 right now, since the series is not done, a four out of five because it you know there's no ending. They do have a season three coming out in the fall uh, on the CW. Check it out, people. And um, Definitely, uh, I am hoping for the best because the way that it ended season two, there's still a lot more stuff. They're not milking it for what it's worth. There's still a lot more because okay. he's still he's heading into his senior year, and he really has to he really has to achieve a certain goal to get the scholarship that 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 um, the colleges are putting out there for him. So. All righty. Well, I guess we'll have to definitely uh, check that out. So anybody that's fan uh, fan of uh, Friday Night Lights, definitely put this on your uh, queue. Okay, state of game, the point where we talk about all the various games we play on the various platforms we play them on. And, uh, yeah, got a few things to talk about as far as uh, campaign uh, <laughs> updates. For as far as the uh, various Dungeons and Dragons games I'm uh, affiliated or involved in, but uh, as always, we're gonna start with Rye and the video games that he's been going. I'm very curious to see how he's getting in Final Fantasy VII and if if he's actually started playing Days Gone. Uh, not the not the burst your bubble, but I haven't. So I know that this was a, this was a, this is what they call a rhetorical question, as I put out there for anybody who's been following the show because we've. I think for the last couple of months, we've been talking about how you got Days Gone and Virtual Shrink Wrap. You had Days Gone installed. You had Days Gone ready to play. And then Final Fantasy, come, Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out, and it's like, Days Gone, what's that? Yeah, what is that? Hey, what's that new shiny thing over there? Okay. Um, but, like you said, literally the only game, well, uh, outside of uh, running through Division Two with you from, you know, here and there, um, the only game I'm playing, I'm, I'm starting to get a knee deep into is Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I'm starting to get into the latter chapters, and they are definitely, um, definitely, you know, allowing, uh, getting harder. That's all I'm going to say. It's getting harder. The enemy types are definitely getting diverse, and you're definitely going, definitely there is a hard balance between uh, offense and defense. And the, the way that they built the, the mechanics of, of the gameplay is starting to shine even harder. I know before I said uh, how I love the, the, the way they, they have the real-time fighting in this because it's a mixture of, of what they did in Final Fantasy XV, but it's more action-oriented. But it is definitely it is definitely hitting its stride right now with these uh, last few chapters I've been playing through, which is chapters 11 through 13. Um, those are the ones I'm I'm getting into. I'm in chapter 13 right now. Okay. So it's uh the storyline is start it's opening up. It's starting to hit that emotional chord for anybody that's played uh, Final Fantasy VII both past and present. Um, but just having to balance your you know using your 
your elixirs and man, you know, mana, knowing the enemy types and knowing which skills work better at what. Especially the fact of the last, the playing through it yesterday, having to fight flying types and ground types and tank types all at the same time and figuring out uh, how to use Cloud and Tifa and uh, Barrett. You know, without losing them at all, because they all have different skill sets that that balance each other out. So the um, the last fight, the last hard fight that I had to tackle yesterday was against um, 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 Turek and Reno. So that was very very hard. And I don't, I know it's not going to be the hardest because there's 18 chapters and I'm on chapter 13. So I know there's still hard things to come. Oh yeah, so, there's still a lot of fun things too. So I'm expecting a lot more. If anybody knows me and my gaming habits, when I start to get knee deep in a game like this, it's pretty much going to be my 100% focus until I get to the end. So overall, it started. It's starting to hit its stride with the, with the with the, um, the fighting mechanics. Um, but I am hopefully going to sneak in another game. Days gone, maybe. But um, I did uh, download a uh, Street of Rage 4 on Xbox. So it's on the Game Pass if you want to check it out, Scuba. It's something we can play. Um, I'll take a look. I know there's also Red Dead Red Dead Redemption 2 is on Game Pass right now. I do have that on disc. I never finished the story, but I might go back to that at some point in the near 100 million year future. But um, other than that, uh, did uh, since I had to um, take my car into the shop yesterday, you know, maintenance, Whenever I go there, I bring my Switch and I play Torchlight 2, and I just love that game. That game is just, just that is just like if I just want to just be happy, I play that game. Because you can never go wrong watching Torchlight. Torchlight 2 is is loot heaven. You can just do whatever the heck you want and have fun. Time last week and this last weekend was Dungeons and Dragons games. Um, had uh, the No Quarter game Friday. Uh, they managed to get through a place called uh, Nomagrod. Um, they went. They they really get through that. There was a couple of things that was kind of like really. It's like we have a dwarf character who's just literally I don't care kind of <laughs> person. He sat there and was like, they get to the room where the kings where where the two kings are that you have to rescue. One of them is just in a complete state of panic because there's some shape-shifting creature that's been attacking the residents of Nomagrod. And the dwarf at one point is like, look, can you give me the, can you give me that jug of stuff so I can release, because the other king is glued to a chair. And it's like, can I just have this? And he fails the uh, persuasion. And I, and he's like, fine. I intimidate him. I say, give me that or I'll give you a shapeshifter. And he wins that. But the other king kind of looks at him like he just done lost his mind threatening a king. But the, the dwarf really just doesn't care. <laughs> He's just like, royalty, royalty, I don't care. Um, but they were managed to get through that. Now they're going to uh, spend the night. Now they're going to move on to the next thing. And we're going to play again uh, this Friday. Because with having the stuff on roll 20 like I do now... It's a lot faster as far as uh, moving through things, and they tend they they don't they're not real big into a lot of story type elements. It's it's A to B. Now I don't 
That could be... They're having fun, which that's all I'm concerned with. If they're having fun, I'm having fun. We're good to go. We can carry on with our lives. Uh, Saturday was the premiere episode, first episode of Challenge Accepted. Which, uh, that actually went fairly well. I've heard a couple people tell me it went really well. Personally, as a self-critic, after thinking about it, I did it. I felt I did an absolutely horrible job because I did a lot of, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, give me a second. You know, it's like, so. We are our worst, our own worst critic. I understand This is that. true. This is, this is very true. But considering we had never really met before, we talked briefly the week before, and we sat down to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons as all strangers. And after the after a little bit, they, they, the group started to gel. They spent the week in uh, the city, in the town of Saltmarsh working as uh, mercenaries. They didn't really explore the town much. Uh, they did the basic provisions, information collecting, and then decided to and then made their way to the haunted house. Now this week when we get get in our session uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time here on the Twitch channel, uh, they're going to start their journey in and through the house. And I'm taking my mental notes from last Saturday and applying them to my prep for this Saturday so that we can see how that goes and see if that becomes a crawl or a slaughter or worse. I don't know. Sunday night was a game where I actually had a, it jumped in as a player. Uh-oh. Uh, for someone else who was DMing. It was his birthday is today. Happy birthday, Prometheus. And he was he wanted to do this one shot. So I was like, alright, we're in there. So he asked us to make characters. I made a, a Goliath Druid. Uh third level. Uh kind of leaning on the healing side more than anything else. I made this character and sent it to him. He said, Don't really worry about background or anything like that. That'll all be part of the one shots. Like, okay. I leave it in the DM's hands, and the DM giveth, and the DM taketh. I was not disappointed. The name of this adventure is called The Pigeons of Zadash. Pigeons? Flying somewhere? No. Oh. But let me tell you what happens. So we start this adventure in the town of Zadash, a wonderful little town in the continent of Wildmouth, courtesy of uh, that we hear about in the Critical Role and the... Uh, Realm Smith Tides of Wildmount Games. We're a group of pigeons. We've been hanging out together for many, many years, many, many years. And all and all of a sudden this individual comes to us and says, I need your help. Waves a magic wand and turns us into a group of adventurers. But we were actually all pigeons. Okay. And then he through some whimsical world happenings, he turned himself into a spoon. So we're trying to figure, I mean, we're trying. It's like we're, we were pigeons and now we're humanoids. And we're going to try and get the spoon to this bridge to possibly help the spoon out and maybe help ourselves out. But it's a very much a kind of a reverse spies in disguise. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, that's like straight up. That's exactly what I was thinking too. I wonder if that was intentional or not, but it was straight up spies in disguise in reverse. Oh, yeah. Shenanigans ensue. 
and we it was the idea was this would be a encapsulated start to finish adventure it did not get that way we actually at about midnight this eastern time said all right how how are you guys doing i i still have potentially a couple more encounters that we would hit do you guys want to just take a break and pick this up next week everybody was like yep we're good with that so we the pigeons of zadash will continue this sunday and i'm very curious to see how this ends i'm curious to hear about this uh this uh you know i think that's it for all the games and stuff uh so i think we can move into our news and odds and ends do 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 right skadoosh skadoosh odds and ends Here's the various news stories and whatnot that we find, or actually, no, more more often than not, Rye finds these things, sends them to me, and then I have to go, okay. So I broke this up. We've got five newsy type things, and we have five really kind of random things. So Some really good random things, funny things. And they are, and it's, it's random because it's like, this is great anecdote material. If you want talking with people, it's really great anecdotal material. It plays off our own conversations because we go off in a lot of tangents. You know, that's the dynamic thing of conversation. Things just kind of go. All right. First thing in the list is no surprise. Tokyo Game Show for this year has been canceled. Womp, womp, womp. Sadness all over. Um, but it wasn't like it wasn't expected. Uh, with everything else getting canceled or moved, it was just a matter of time before, you know, um, the target hit the red dot on the dartboard. So. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, this is the year. I think in a lot of ways this year is kind of a wash, especially this season for all the cons and conventions. Yeah. Uh, a few of them are nice. Um, if they have, if some of the stuff in the winter keeps coming, like, was it New York Comic Con is in the fall? Yeah, it's a like September October time frame. Her but I have a feeling now it's going to be canceled anyway, just because the way New York is. Yeah, it depends. Or you know, if they 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 could always like move it to the Jersey side or something. But you know, the those uh, planning and event or you know event planners will figure it out. I'm yeah. sure. But uh, but really, yeah. So back to Tokyo. Well, you know, maybe ne next year will be more interesting. Who knows? Or they may do a virtual one. There's a lot of these cons I went to. Purely virtual conventions. I don't know if it's okay. a big thing over there in the uh, Japanese culture, but yeah. But um, uh, based on the article as reported on IGN, uh, the event was scheduled uh, to be in uh, Tokyo uh, between September 24th through the 27th at the Marker Mezi, which is in Japan. But they will reshape it into an online event, and more information to follow later. Sweet. So they are going online. Definitely have to go oh, yeah. to check that out. So, um, just uh, quote due to the outbreak of the novel coronavirus on a global scale and the situation remains unpredictable in Japan as well the organizers and co-organizers have reached this decision after a long consideration placed the utmost priority on the health and safety of visitors, exhibitors and stakeholders end quote so even though it's being cancelled it is doing one of the things that one of the things we mentioned last week about an anime convention and they're going online okay so it might not be as expansive as and colorful as what we're used to seeing from the Tokyo Game Show, but at least they're giving you know fans some treat of the gaming world. So, 
Alrighty, okay, so our next one, um, this is a, a sign of good things. Um, bear with us on that. Let's see, the Avatar <laughs> sequels apparently are costing $1 billion to produce. That's roughly $250 million for each of the four sequels that they're shooting. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is it looks like, from uh, preliminary reports, that filming has started to resume in New Zealand. For not oh, just yeah. the Avatar films, but also for the Lord of the Rings series that Amazon called for. Oh, yeah. So, this is a good thing. This is the light at the end of the tunnel, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So outside of the fact that we are finally going to see these sequels, see the light of day, which uh, James Cameron has been saying was supposed to be coming out like five or six years ago, but getting pushed and getting pushed and getting pushed. But the fact that they're going to start getting on track and actually hit their opening date of December 17, 2021, it's a, you know, a sign of things to come along with the fact that um, this will be paralleling the production of the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon because both of them are being filmed in New Zealand. So. Which is a great place to film films. Oh, yeah. All right. Now, this one's going to be a follow-up. This next one's a follow-up to what we were talking about yesterday. Or not yesterday, but last week. And that is, last week we, we kind of touched on the whole thing, the whole dust-up between AMC and Universal over the Universals looking at the business side of things in terms of releasing films on uh, premiere video-on-demand versus the traditional theater release, given yeah. the current world state of affairs with theaters and the dust-up that happened to go on with that. Well... We also talked about the fact that AMC Theaters is filing for bankruptcy because yes. they had to furlough virtually everybody because of what was going on. And they're not too sure they're going to be reopening their theaters before July. Or if they are, it's the limitations. I think uh, this, art, this particular article talks about how the AMC Theaters is going to wait until they actually have releases to put in the theaters yeah. to put out. Which right now, that's looking like July is when the when the... The studios are going to be releasing films for theater to put out. But why am I saying all that? Why is all that? Why am I bringing you up to speed? It's because this article that came out talked about how Amazon is apparently or rumored to be considering buying AMC. That's huge. Whether it's, it's true or not, it is huge. Just to even contemplate the idea that Amazon is buying, it might buy AMC, which is the which is arguably the largest chain of movie theaters globally. Rye, what do you think about this? Um, just to add uh, credence to what you said, they are the largest movie chain thing, movie chain in the in the world because they own eleven thousand screens screens around the globe. But it is a game changer in the fact, regardless if it's rumor, but all rumors come from some source of truth. So just the just the fact of hearing that um, we already knew that AMC was in dire straits because they were always losing money anyway. So through the last few years, they have been ramping their theaters to bring in more of an aesthetic of pleasing to the movie experience, to the stadium style seating, to the Dolby cinemas, to you know, bringing in like dinner styles and then you have a bar and all the different kind of amenities that can bring people in other than just watching the movies. With this uh, COVID, COVID pandemic, it has hit that, you know, chain hard because 
nobody can go to the theaters because there is a, a you know aspect of social interaction with it, of course. So a lot of people are predicting that they're going to have to file for bankruptcy. But then this report comes out that um, Amazon might be looking to you know pump in some money into saving them by acquiring them. The reason it is big is because Amazon, like we've mentioned with the movie we reviewed earlier this uh, podcast, um, they have their own studio, movie line studio. They have their own streaming service, and plus the the distribution network they have, and just you know, just shipping and delivering. They are a conglomerate, a big um, company out there. So having them acquire the largest movie chain in the globe just gives them a big outlet to pump in um, an interchangeable, um, uh, interchangeable with their movies, with their streaming. Find other outlets, not just uh, put it streaming, but they also have a way to put it out in theaters without going through a middleman because i think it's a great contract negotiation too if you're looking at streaming films uh not just uh feature films and releasing the theater as well as releasing it on demand and uh prime but also their films that would never would not have gone to theater they could put into theater yeah so oh no you oh oh, i'm sorry i cut you off no no go ahead go ahead So if, if, if you're familiar with AMC, they have this uh, thing where they all they have uh, um, um, I forget what it's called, but it's event style showings. Well, they'll have a few day, uh, a weekend or a few days where they'll show like um, musical events. Bandango. They might show Bandango events. Yeah, they might show uh, certain like foreign films. Um, one of the things they do a lot is they have this um, uh, this event where once the Oscar nominees get you know you know the best picture nods get out there amc does a thing where they rotate the best pictures on up until the the award show and also they have a series called the artisan series where they um they highlight certain smaller films that wouldn't see the light of day because of you know not being big films so the fact that amazon they already pump in a lot of money into all these small films and all this all these other you know um, artists that won't ha- see the light of day with um, the movie theaters, uh, not movie theaters, but the studios. Um, it gives uh, it gives the the independent artists another outlet to expand their reach, but also creates the avenue where um, Amazon, like they made that um, deal with South by Southwest to push out the movies on their streams. If they had a hold of theaters, it would expand the reach of that said um, uh, festival. So the festival could go outsourced to, you know, be like not just in one area, but you can have people uh, view it from this theater, this theater, this theater on, you know, certain days of the, that week. So so there's a lot of a uh, lot of credence to not just the fact that they would be owning the largest movie thing, movie theater chain, the fact that it creates more avenues for uh, festivals, for uh, moviegoers to see more expansive material, but also the indie independent artists out there will have a better way of reaching the masses, not just through VOD, but, you know, theaters across the world. Well, we're going to, it's definitely going to be a developing story. We're going to be keeping our, keeping our, our uh, eyes and ears on. Yes. Um, Moving on. uh, Let's see. There's a talk of a new series on ordered by CBS. It's supposed to be a sequel to the silence of the lambs called Clarice. Which oh, yeah. is reportedly following Clarice's time in the DC field office. Having it's going to be a procedural. She's going to be tracking down serial killers and murderers, as well as navigating the political 
to and from of being in DC. I think yes. I've seen this in a hundred other different ways, but the interesting thing for this, and the reason why this has been having such an issue, is because of a a rights issue with the characters and the stories this guy wrote. Apparently, Hannibal uh, had a similar problem, but they could not use Clarice Stalling in the Hannibal series. Mm-mm. But, and because of that, and very similar, it looks like we're not going to be able to see Hannibal or any of the characters associated with Hannibal from Red Dragon, Hannibal Rising, and Hannibal in this show because of a an issue with uh, the rights to those char- using those characters. Yeah. So I, I find that's fairly interesting, considering the guy wrote the same books. Why are we having such an issue with characters that were in one book and not in others, or a character that was, if they weren't introduced in Silence of the Lambs, they're not going to be in this TV series. And conversely, Hannibal had the issue where they could not use any of the characters introduced in Silence of the Lambs in their show. Thoughts? Um, I think that, that that contract dispute is probably just something that, you know, we probably won't see the uh, light of day. It's probably stuff happening behind the scenes where the, the original creator will want certain things but either the studios or certain distributors won't give it to them so there might be some infighting that's creating this this elusive dynamic because it's no difference between um the tolkien estates and um uh, um, warner brothers when it came to creating the lord of rings films or the delay of in the hobbit and outside of not just the movies the you know the series the games and etc etc so that's probably why there's that dynamic where you can use one character for one thing and not use this stuff and vice versa. But it also, I think it's a plus because not only do they don't have a reliance on previous material, being a sequel and focusing on the, uh, you know, focus on the character of Clarice and her, you know, future and, you know, future endeavors on what she investigates. It allows more creativity for the serials to deep dive into that, uh, cop serial drama, you know, the cop procedural drama, but add it with a twist uh, with knowing that, you know, she's going to be going after serial killers and and the fact that she's already worked with one because of previous material, but they yeah, don't but have to tie it back. It's really, uh, I gotta be honest, it really doesn't feel any different than Criminal Minds. Oh, yeah. Or, well, or you know, it's a CBS show, so it might, might be the same. So I mean, that's what this, uh, it looks like we're going to get another uh, try the criminal minds type of show. I mean, that was a procedural that was trying to find serial killers and stuff uh, without a trace. Uh, same procedural looking for kidnap victims. Um, Bones, yeah. you know, was a procedural that had to deal with the with the with with scientists and and the FBI. I mean, this does not feel like a very original idea, other than hey. What material can we tap in for characters and, and, and environment? And let's tap into Silence of the Lambs, which, to yeah. be honest, we haven't heard much conversation about since the original film way back when with Jodie Foster and, and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably it's one of those things where you're 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 getting a mask up. You you're getting a a, a hollow around the idea. So you're getting just uh, just pieces of what you want, but it's going to be filled in with 
the obvious of what you expect of the genre. So it's going to either be, you know, entertaining at best, but it might just be very redundancy because it's just going to follow the same path as, like you said, Criminal Minds, NCIS, um, you know, any any criminal procedural out there. So I think I think that the fact that it's going to be on CBS, you know, it's going to follow a certain formula. So it's going to be tried and true and mundane. But there are people that like that stuff. So as long as you can slap, you know, happiness on a coat of paint, they'll be happy. But I would rather see a series like what happened on HBO, like The Outsiders. But, you know, not HBO can't get every property. All righty. Our la- uh, with that, we'll move on. Our last thing is a couple of quick uh, one-two punches from The House of Mouse. Let's see. First one, which is a double whammy, is mm-hmm. uh, the act. Apparent, reportedly, the actor who played Django Fett has been asked to come join the cast of Mandalorian season two as none other than Boba Fett. So we'll finally have a canon, in canon, re- reappearance of Boba Fett after he was supposedly killed in the Sarlacc pit. Oh yeah. But for any, you know, anybody that follows the, the Star Wars universe, um, there's comics and stuff that explain how he got out of that pit. But, you know, it is interesting to see uh, how they're going to incorporate him in The Mandalorian. But there's been a lot of suspected and just, you know, fandom, you know, comments about there's got to be some ties to Boba Fett because you're focusing on, you know, bounty hunters and everything. Well, John Favreau has sat there and said part of the reason why he wanted to do The Mandalorian was because of the void left by the la- by by the lack of Boba Fett. That yeah. being said, another notable Mandalorian has been cast, and that is Katie Sackhoff has been cast to play Bo-Katan in uh, Season 2 of Mandalorian. Now, if you're not familiar, Bo-Katan is a fairly pro- prominent member of Mandalorian society, which we were introduced to in Star Wars The Clone Wars, and then reintroduced to in Star Wars Rebels. And then she came back for the the finale in the Clone Wars, which was the whole Siege of Mandalore, and she was a fairly predominant one. Her sister Satine happened to be a romantic interest of Obi-Wan Kenobi in their youth, and she was killed by Darth Maul. Which I think it's nice because this is definitely more that blending of the various stories together. Uh, So... We'll find out more of what happens. It'll also be interesting because with Rosario Dawson reportedly coming in as Ahsoka Tano, there was some definite interactions there that we could see. Yeah, that interconnectivity does uh, bring, you know, things closer and keeps things consistent. But, you know, it also uh, gives a good way of of driving more exploration since this takes place after Return of the Jedi. So it gets to build on what they have been doing and what they will be doing. Yes. All right. Um, next thing is uh, apparently they, the Hamilton play, which we've all heard about, has gotten so much buzz and praise and criticism, apparently was turned into a film by Disney. But However, it was slated for release in October. It is instead going to be released on July 3rd via Disney+. Plus. As, uh, yep, as reported in IGN, the Hamilton movie uh, with Disney... Um, Paying a huge sum of money for the rights for Hamilton is going to push it out on their streaming service. Well, Lin, and the thing is, Lynn Manuel has been doing a couple of various Disney projects already, so I'm oh, yeah. sure this was this was all part of that part and parcel to getting him on board anyway. Oh yeah, 
but it also what this highlights is that it's another it's another boon for um disney plus because what this is going to help is a build up that um not only you know they have their back catalog and stuff but it gives that that flush of you know original content uh, not to mention another big film being put on the streaming service that's not going to hit the theaters along with artemis fowl this month well, next thing you know, Disney will be buying one of these troubled movie theaters. And then we'll just be controlled by a mouse and a delivery service. Woohoo! Alrighty. Uh, last thing, speaking of movie theaters, Disney apparently is confirming a July release of Mulan. Yeah. Uh, this is tentative, though, because Mulan is slated to come out a week after the next Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. Which is being distributed by Warner Brothers. If Warner yeah. Brother, from reading this article, it looks like from Screen Rant, it looks like if Warner Brothers decides to push back the release of Tenet, Disney is probably going to follow suit and push back Mulan, depending on how things start to reopen post or post lockdown or in this uh, dry spell from COVID cases the predominance of covid cases being reported or diagnosed not sure with everything else with this pandemic it's all very fluid it's all very much yeah things looked good today but they're not looking so good tomorrow or hey they're looking better tomorrow or maybe in two weeks i mean just as we were talking pre-show the governor was saying that the governor of virginia was talking about how reopening the state in different and wanting to make sure each region is set to open and spent quite a bit of time on Monday outlining as a, as a Commonwealth, we're here, but this yeah. region, eh, they're not so much. Yeah. So with everything, we just gotta, we, we just gotta be patient. We gotta keep safe. We gotta keep our, everybody keep healthy as best we can. Um, so I would like to see Mulan hit theaters before the end of this calendar year, personally, just because I want to see what they did to revamp the story. It is not going to be a direct one-for-one from the cart from the anime, because apparently the anime did not uh, go over so well in the East, and hopefully this time it will, because they're focusing a lot more, uh, incorporating a lot more of Eastern culture and getting it right, so to speak. Comments. Oh no! I was just waiting, you know, waiting for you to uh, finish up. Um, I, I was, I was done. I figured I'd let you get a couple, get, get a couple thoughts in, and then we can move on to the okay, weird so, stuff. Because uh, they already, um, I can't wait to get some of that weird stuff. Um, Mulan, um, it was slated to come out in March, and then because of the whole uh, hoopla of COVID uh, ruining people's lives, um, it moved the movies back and. Along with this, it got pushed to a July release date, and it all that is all predicated, like you said, on you know the situation, on what Warner Brothers does, but also uh, um, depending on um, will there be you know enough uh, theaters open for you know the movie to be shown. But I'm looking forward to it because, like you said, this is this looks like this might be the one live action remake there's been a few that i really enjoyed but this will probably be one of the ones that is a true you know a remake from the ground up because from the trailers from the authenticity that they have been putting into the film from you know the casting to the storyline it definitely looks like it is a true revitalization of the story and one that is that a lot of people are looking forward to especially with the positive buzz that it got when it was supposed to be released in march now um slated for july 
So hopefully this film, Tenet, and Wonder Woman, which is supposed to be uh, August, hit the theaters and we can get people back and excited to see things. We shall see. We shall see. Alrighty, now for the weird stuff. Weird. Uh, First thing, this is a bit of statistical information. Uh, Apparently, according to Screen Rant's reporting, the Nintendo Switch has already outsold the Nintendo 64 and Nintendo GameCube combined. Oh, yeah. So, as you said, it's reported on uh, Screen Rant. uh, The Nintendo Switch, which has been a very, uh, very helpful uh, device for Nintendo, has been reportedly uh, outsold both those two prime uh, devices um, combined. Nintendo sold... um, in the first three months of 2020, as quoting from the Screen Rant, Nintendo sold 3.29 million Switches consoles, 33% increase over last year's sales in the same period. Total sales of the Switch now add up to 55.77 million. The N64 shipped 32.93 million, and the GameCube shipped 21.74 million, respectively. Combined total, 54.67 million. There you go. Alrighty. Okay, so yeah. Huh? Are you one of those 55.7 million uh, owners yet? No. Of the Switch? No, not yet. Hopefully, maybe. 57? 58. Gotta get one for everybody in the house. Yeah, let's see. $500 a pop. That's gonna be a little bit steep for me right now. uh, You can get the light version. No. (laughs) Nope. Not even. No. Oh yeah. Well, if you uh, if you uh, are basing off a podcast we did uh, previously, check it out, people. I went on my tangent about why you shouldn't buy it. So, good job. Oh, that's definitely a much earlier episode. Alrighty. Um, let's see. Next thing is apparently Assassin's Creed Valhalla will be shorter and smaller in terms of scope as opposed to Assassin's Creed Odyssey as a means to combat the bloat criticisms i mean i'm guessing uh there was too much in odyssey which is kind of weird to have too much in a video game yeah uh so uh, as reported on ign um this this uh um ubisoft's middle east head of communication malik tefla on twitter said um it won't be the longest or biggest game in the series. They address criticism on this one. So what happened when uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out to glowing praise, both by the fans and the critics alike? One of the things that was mentioned was just the vastness um, of things happening. So you might spend a whole lot of time navigating from one point to another. So when the certain story points hit, it didn't hit that dramatically. Um, plus the fact that there was a lot of... Uh, um, not for me personally, but for some people in the community, a lot of filler and a lot of just unnecessary time between certain parts. So what their what their their task with Valhalla, at least from the from what we've seen and what we heard, is that they're filling everything with necessary necessary stuff and not just um, just rabbit just holes. rabbit holes. But yeah, but it it there was a lot of. Um, from me, because I played Odyssey from end to end, there was a lot of filler. 
some of the filler was didn't really seem necessary, but some of the filler was amazing. So, you know, in any open world game, you're going to have other things to do. So I rather, in my in my personal opinion, I would rather have what I had in, um, in Odyssey than what I would have in like a game like La Noir, where it's so big, but it was only like like three or four things you could do. Hmm. Yeah. I guess there's something to be said about scope and scale. Yeah. So it it looks like they're definitely it's definitely going to be interesting to see the end of this year. I can't wait to check it out. Alrighty, now here for our next one. This is really kind of out there. Apparently the next Tom Cruise film is going to be shot on board the International Space Station and shot in space. Oh yes. So as reported on Screen Rant, NASA has confirmed um, that the currently unnamed film um, with Tom Cruise He's going to join forces with Elon Musk's SpaceX program as well as NASA so they can film some scenes on the International Space Station. Um, but given uh, the state of Hollywood right now and the current pandemic, we're not sure when that will happen. I mean, I, I got to give it props. I mean, he's really kind of pushed things as far as action films. And this would be a huge thing. I it just the legit. This is something I was really kind of hoping we would see oh, years ago, before the whole space race thing turned into a space crawl or a space walk backwards. A space what? We're Walking there? backward. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, but it, you know, this might be nice to finally get back into moving in that direction, even if it is just a film. But oh, yeah. the, the ambition to actually go to space and film in space, in space, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling Portal 2. It's like, I'm in space. I'm in space. But it, yeah, it's just a testament to Tom Cruise and his just, uh, just his um, going all the way for every film he does. It, he, he is one of the true... Um, um, film uh, film actors that, that we don't see nowadays, he goes to the full extent to make sure you get that in entertainment value. No matter if it's uh, hanging on the side of a plane in Mission Possible or hanging off a building in Mission Possible Ghost Protocol or uh, literally having all the cast members learn how to fly planes in the, in the upcoming Top Gun film. You know, he pushes everybody to the limit to make sure you get that true experience. Yes, well, I, I appreciate it for that. Alrighty, uh, next up, a little bit of local news. The uh, yeah. Norfolk Botanical Gardens is apparently going to be featured on a United States postage stamp, which will go on sale tomorrow, May 13th, as part of a series depicting the American Gardens. Aww. It's, uh, this, is a, this is what's a delight thing to see, um, as reported by our, our local affiliate, Wavy. Um, um, the gardens will be featured on that stamp, and it will just uh, highlight the the amazingness that is the botanical gardens because it is a seasonal garden. So there is a lot of things that go in bloom depending on what time of year. So it's just going to highlight all the the amazing um, uh, botanical isms of the flowers, the colors, the roses, and the perennial things out there. I definitely got 
I, I mean, I, I think it's cool. It's a, it's, it's a nice cool. It's a nice little oddity type thing. Um, I don't know how much detail you're going to see because the stamp is all about what? That big? Yeah, a little bit that big. But at least it, it'll create a focal point of not only, you know, highlighting um, flowers, but it also highlighted one of the uh, one of the great places to visit in this area. This is true. Great place for Pokemon hunting. Oh, yes. So I'm told. I haven't actually done, done any Pokemon hunting there, but I hear it's a good place for Pokemon hunting. Yes. Uh, oh. From personal experience, it is. Alrighty. And our last story for the night, which is a follow-up to an odd story that we brought to you last week. Last week we talked about how the murder hornet, this big two-inch size hornet that immigrated from Japan somehow wound, started getting sighted in the uh, in the Washington state and there's concern because hornets tend to hunt bees and the yeah. bee population is already fragile. Bees lives matter. Uh, matter people. Uh, like we, we talked about how uh, uh, half a dozen of the, uh, about 20 or 30 of these things that they sting you could kill you. Well as with everything else apparently it is also a gourmet delicacy in some circles. Put some sauce on that and make it saucy. Apparently they're a crunchy gourmet snack. Oh yeah. Who knew? Who knew? But as uh, reported on the uh, New York Post, uh, quote, in more rural parts of central Japan, giant hornets, which are infamously known to kill many people throughout the years, have long been consumed in a variety of forms and valued as a traditional source of cheap protein, end quote. Well, I mean, there's some there's some thing of that. Bugs are a great sense of protein, but you know, figure just had to throw that in there. We talked about it last week. You know, there's got to be a sunny side to this. There's always a sunny side. You know, turn something in that is a deadly and vicious into you know a uh, thirty dollar plate item at a upscale restaurant. I guess you know. Looks same like thing it. With, same thing with blowfish. You know, blowfish are deadly, but hey, you can only get it at high price restaurants. And years of practice before you even attempt to cut one of those things off. Oh, yes. <laughs> so if I hear somebody's only done it for two years, uh, call me back in 10. Yeah. Once you hit that 15 to 20 year mark, then we'll be good. And then I'll have somebody else test it out before me. <laughs> the sacrificial friend. I get it. Yeah, got to sacrifice. Sacrifices have to be made. Alright, well, it's all good, and with that, I think we'll go ahead and shift over to our contact info. And we'll start winding this down. This is where you can find all of our social medias and connections. As I said, there's a Discord, there's a Twitter, there's a YouTube, all those fun things. Uh, this show does go out as a podcast through all your podcast downloading sources. This also goes up on the Scuba Studio YouTube channel where you can check that out, as well as other videos that we have done, previous show episodes, our TV show reviews, our um, some gameplay stuff that I've done, and where you can start finding these D&D shows that I am uh, able, that through the kindness of my players, want to have recorded or, people, or have asked me to record for them. So with that, uh, anything you want to add into this, Ryan? Um, de definitely uh, follow us at all the links. Follow Scooby uh, Scoob, uh, Scoob at all the various social media websites. Follow me on Instagram at Inkbitchtrav. Uh, Want to check me out? Just send us a like. But follow us everywhere um, and uh, let us know. Uh, plus, minus, and suggestions for anything coming up. 
next few shows. Alrighty, and with that, we will wish you all a wonderful evening. Have a safe week. Stay safe. And we will see you on the next one. Peace.